So sure enough, there is a form of contrast that the greatest speeches use, and that is using the contrast between what is and what could be as a structural device. So you may say, hey, here's our current realities, but just imagine this other type of future we could all have. So it's like, here's here's what is, but look, here's what could be. That gap between what is and what could be, once people can really see the contrast of it, they'll think that the current realities are not appealing and that this future state you're trying to get people to move to is more alluring. So the contrast is very important and the gap between what is and what could be does create that kind of tension that a great story creates. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership, where we believe that doing it alone is the enemy. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. I'm the other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, do we have an amazing episode lined up for you today. Our guest today is probably the world's leading thought leader on powerful communication. She has delivered a, a TED Talk that's been seen by almost 1.3 million people. It's one of my personal all-time favorite TED Talks. I'm speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Nancy Duarte. Welcome to the show, Nancy. That was, that was a great buildup, you guys. <laughs> right, thank you. Thank you. Nancy, it's a real honor to have you on the show. We, we were speaking before the show, and uh, we, we both mentioned how much we, we like Donald Miller of StoryBrand, uh-huh. who's got a really great podcast. The listener to this podcast is an aspiring thought leader and an actual thought leader. They listen to this show to get your wisdom. How did you end up being the success that you are? Tell us your backstory. Yeah, it's interesting. People ask me, like, when did you know you wanted to, you know, be the presentation lady or whatever you want to call me? And I I didn't. I like to say that presentations have found me. So Mm -hmm. we started a little firm. We're having our 30-year anniversary next year. Uh, We started as freelancers here in the Valley. And one of the first clients we won was Apple. And people, this was 87, right? People don't realize that Apple was one of the very first companies to hook the computer straight up to a projector. That was like way disruptive technology back then. And so what happened was we got niched and then there was a big layoff at Apple in 92 and my whole client base got scattered around the valley like lovely little seeds and took us with them. So I think that a really critical thing happened in my business in uh, 99, 2000, and that was the dot-com crash. And I did one of the most counterintuitive moves I've ever done in my business, and that is that we actually cut out all the services that we did except for presentations. So here the economy was crashing, and I decided we were going to cut out everything. We did print, web, multimedia, all kinds of stuff, and I decided you know what, we're going to become best in the world and passionate and profitable at just presentations. So within about eight years, I could write a real defining book, a thought leadership piece about presenting. And then my TED Talk about three years later 
was about how to create a presentation that's infused with storytelling. Um, and now we have about 130 people. We have a lovely studio and uh, video studio and training organization uh, here in the Silicon Valley. So I do travel and speak. And, and that was a really kind of scary moment for me because forever I was kind of like, uh, you know, in the Wizard of Oz, the guy behind the curtain making the powerful Oz look amazing. <laughs> I used to be that person making someone else look amazing. And I kind of had to step out from behind the curtain and build my own platform after my book came out, which was scary, but I stayed real committed to it because there's a little more pressure on me than other people because I do write and produce and talk about presenting all the time. So as a presenter, I kind of had to kill it. That's amazing. I'm absolutely blown away by that. I'm blown away by your TED Talk. I am fascinated by great speakers. You know, Michael and I, what we do is we uh, we help people nail their personal brand and establish themselves as thought leaders if they're already thought leaders, take it to the next level. So we're always interested in seeing great thought leadership and learning from great thought leaders. And I love how you broke down Steve Jobs and Martin Luther King's talks in your TED Talk. And you mm-hmm. said that there's absolutely a structure to a great presentation. There's a structure to a great talk. Can you talk a little bit about that, how, how you discovered that, how you've applied that to benefit for yourself as well as for your clients? Yeah. So what I did was I went on about a three and a half or four year journey through storytelling I realized that somehow the greatest speeches in the world had this ability to build tension and have a cathartic release, just like a story does. And I wanted to really, I knew there was some secret that I would find if I went on a journey through story. So I looked at story, story structures, persuasive stories, and then I literally had a book called The 100 Greatest Speeches of All Time. It did everything from Francis of Assisi and Jesus all the way through to Hitler and others. And it was amazing to, after going through this three-year journey and story, to actually uh, take the transcripts of these great talks and start to classify the the different kinds of tension and contrast that's in each one. So I remember I had been on this long journey and it was a Saturday morning and I'm like, honey, you better go golfing because I'm going to go in the office and I'm not coming home until I've figured out the shape of a great talk because stories have a shape. We would call it a dramatic arc and there's a specific shape that a story goes on. And I knew there was a shape that the great speeches used and I wanted to find it. So sure enough, there is a form of contrast that the greatest speeches use and that is using the contrast between what is and what could be as a structural device. So you may say, hey, here's our current realities, but just imagine this other type of future we could all have. So it's like, here's here's what is, but look, here's what could be. That gap between what is and what could be, once people can really see the contrast of it, they'll think that the current realities are not appealing and that this future state you're trying to get people to move to is more alluring. So the contrast is very important. And the gap between what is and what could be does create that kind of tension that a great story creates. I love, I also watched the video. I loved how you presented that. I mean, you use great visuals. I mean, obviously you're, you're a great storyteller and you do so well with slides and, and the imagery and the words you use. Now, I would say that a lot of people struggle with this and our listeners struggles with this. What do you see is in their way from being able to leverage some of these tactics you've been talking about strategies? You know, I think what happens is when we're asked to present or we have something to present, even if we're pitching a customer or standing on a stage, a lot of times we process it through our own eyes. You know, there's there's 
one thing to be authentic, that would mean that you're being comfortable in your own skin. But it's another thing to be empathetic. That's when you put on someone else's skin and learn to be comfortable in that. So one of the things that we were talking about Don Miller earlier, one of the things he leveraged from my work is that the audience is the hero. So in this case, the customer the customer is the hero if you're talking about a brand, but if you're giving a talk, the audience is the hero. And what that means is if 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 you put a, an idea out there and they choose to ignore it or dismiss it, your idea dies. And so it's they really hold all the power in the room. So sometimes because we feel like we're the central figure in the room, because we're talking the most, we're given the stage, we're really well lit, <laughs> it's easy to be deceived that we're the most important person in the room. And in reality, the audience is the most important person because if you don't communicate it in a way that moves them in some way to act, then your idea will fail. So it's really approaching everything from a mindset of, hey, I want to make this this talk that I'm going to give so compelling that they're going to want and desire to change. And that's the biggest roadblock is that people make it about themselves and not audience centric. You know, it's very powerful. And when uh, Michael and I discovered Donald Miller's work, we uh, we signed up for his uh, story brand online course. And that was the mm-hmm. key thing that hit me. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a Leo. I love attention. I love being the center of attention. I love getting on stage and doing my thing. And it was, it was a real eye-opener for me to go, this is not about me when I'm up there. It is absolutely about my audience. So really powerful to hear you describe that so succinctly and so powerfully. Nancy, so I study story, obviously not at your level, and I study great speeches. Here's, here's my three favorite speeches of all time. John F. Kennedy's speech in Berlin, Ich bin ein Berliner. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. And Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan's Tear Down This Wall. Two in yeah. Berlin. Two out of three in Berlin. Something about Berlin and speeches. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me, those speeches follow the type of arc that you talk about, right? They help the people right. that are in the audience uh, – feel themselves as the hero of the story. In in John F. Kennedy's case, the audience member listening to the story was, hey, you're someone who's part of the free world and you're standing for freedom and we've got your back. In Martin Luther King's uh, speech, it was, the world that I want to create for you is a world where uh, every man, every woman is the same regardless of skin color. And Ronald Reagan's was, hey, tear down this wall, help help uh, East Germany and Eastern Europe become free. And everyone listening to those speeches would see themselves as the hero in that story. That's the way they get moved. They're not excited mm-hmm. about the speaker. They're excited about themselves. Yeah. In some ways, the greatest speeches are actually a little bit inconclusive. And the presenter will lead the audience to believe that this new reality will come true if you jump in and make change, right? Because everyone wants a story with a happy ending. And if you feel like you're part of a bigger narrative where you can actually change the outcome, that's very powerful way to communicate. And, uh, and these gentlemen definitely all did that. No, absolutely fantastic. I, uh, so what are your favorite speeches and, and why? I'm assuming the two that you did in your TED Talk are among them. 
Yeah, you know, I I picked those two specifically because I thought, well, one's a social movement and the other is a business talk. I do think Steve Jobs was one of the greatest business communicators of all time. So that was kind of fun um, to analyze. I I have a lot of them. I got a lot of grief for not featuring enough females in Hmm. my book, and I'm a female. (laughs) Um, But that was simply because there are not that many. Um, And I didn't so I did find um, some speeches by Evita Perón. Um, she her. was the most po- known at one time as the most powerful woman in the Western Hemisphere, and she was came out of poverty in Argentina to become the wife of uh, the president of the country. Juan and she did a lot right. of humanitarian things. And a lot of people aren't familiar with her speeches because they've not been translated from Spanish to English. So I translated them. And you can actually see, especially her speech at the plaza, if you if you look at footage of the audience, like there were actually some people that got stampeded to death, but people were just running like their life depended on just hearing her words. They were like nectar to the poor. And so I, I would say she, she communicated kind of at the scale and with the same kind of beauty of words that Dr. King did. Um, and so I have a real affinity for, for her speeches. Plus her maiden name was Duarte. So I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I need to um, call attention to that. There's some really, some communicators that are really working hard um, on their skills on the business side. I think when Sheryl Sandberg kind of, you know, rises uh, like a phoenix from the ashes, from her personal hardship, I think she's going to be like have like a clarion voice. Um, she's a very good communicator. I, Zuckerberg's working on his stuff. I think Mark Benioff at Salesforce is really working hard, um, works hard on his talks. Um, some people think, oh, you know, you just get up and you talk. Like Steve Jobs made it look so natural. He spent months. He spent like three months before each one of his launches and he would work on his talk every day. So it looks easy, but it does take a pretty big time commitment. So I I have some I just have the whole, my favorite speeches are a lot of the ones that are in the hundred greatest speeches of all time. Um, it's hard to find really great business speeches because they're not publicly available unless it's an earnings call. So I went over to Stanford and I found old speeches that were done by General Electric. And I love some of these classic because it's interwoven with history, why they're making their business decisions they are, how they're trying to get the housewives. It's so funny. Like, I know you bought refrigerators from GE, and I know we had to turn our plant into making weaponry. You can trust us to make refrigerators again. You know, just this persuasive arc um, that is so fascinating. So as far back as I can tell, uh, so many of the greatest speeches in business, politics, and social causes are uh, follow the form. The good ones, the ones that get recorded as historical, uh, definitely do. Uh, Nancy, how do you how do you help businesses bring story into other areas of their yeah. business? I love that question because uh, what's interesting is this persuasive story pattern that we've been talking about was based in storytelling. And there's three actual tools that are based in story theory that every single presenter should have, and especially every organizational leader. So obviously there's giving great speeches, but there's actually telling great stories. Like a speech is different than a story. Now you might have small stories in your speech, but telling a story a personal story from a place of conviction is one of the most powerful persuasive methods you could use because people love to observe others change. They love observing transformation and storytelling at its purest form is about transforming. And if a leader can get up and say, hey, 
I tried, I failed, I tried again, and I did it. (laughs) That's a lot of power in something like that. And then the third type of communication in a story form, believe it or not, is a ceremony. So in life and in business, we don't do enough rituals that are about endings and beginnings. So if you look at any sort of change, any sort of corporate change you're asking people to do, people have a hard time letting go of the past. And part of letting go of the past is required to be able to embrace the future. So these ceremonies, one of the examples I give that's great is when Steve Jobs was working so hard to get people to adopt Mac OS X. It was the first thing he did when he re-landed at Apple as the CEO and people weren't moving. People weren't moving. There were still a lot of developers that hadn't moved and he did a ceremony where he actually brought a coffin out on the stage, had an oversized box of Mac OS 9, put it in the box, closed the lid, put a red rose on it and said a eulogy for the old OS. That's kind of graphic, but what he was doing is saying, this is over and a new thing needs to begin. And so what happens is when we're leading change or we're trying to drive toward a new future that's different than the current ones, sometimes there's things that you have to demonstratively let your people know they need to let go of. And that is the rite of passage. The rite of passage is a three-act story structure. And so there's these story tools that are really important for communicators to use so that the people understand where we're at and where we need to go. And endings are just as important as new beginnings. We'll be right back with the rest of our interview with today's guest. Welcome to another segment of Strategies for Growing Your Business. Michael, today we're going to talk about clarity in your ideal target market. So why is it important to have a clear, well-targeted market niche, Michael? The number one reason, in my opinion, is that how can you be an expert in a general market? I mean, there's people inside of a market, a narrow market, narrow niche, that have unique problems. And the, the more you are actually great at solving those unique problems, the more likely you'll be known in that market. So whilst you could be well-known throughout the world for a general message or a general thing that you do, and there are people like that, the work that it takes to get there and the amount of investment you'd need to make and the, and the marketing and the branding and all of that, it would take a very long time and maybe produce very few results. Whereas if you go narrow, we're talking about a lot less people. We're talking about being able to be real expert in that problem that, that you're solving for them. And you ab- you're able to actually re- find them and reach them. Find them and reach them. That's powerful. You know, Michael, you know, one of the things I've been passionate about inside my uh, commercial PhD is, is men and helping men and, and uh, doing stuff for men. And I've been thinking about how do I help men? I want to do stuff for men. But when I started to focus on not just all men, but separated fathers, specifically separated fathers whose wives have left them because that's an experience that I had. It it became a lot easier to find those folks than men. And it it became a lot easier to aim my message at a separated father whose wife has left him because I understand that man's pain points. I understand that he feels like he's lost his mojo, like he's a failure, like he's a loser because I felt all those things and I can target my messaging toward this man and I can be of real service to this man because I've taken my market and I've narrowed it. Isn't that right, Michael? 
Absolutely. And you're more likely to do service for them because you actually know what you're doing. You can spend all of your time focused on being the very best on the planet at solving those problems for those men. Whereas if you were working with all men, well, you'd be okay at solving a bunch of the problems, but you wouldn't be great. And what people want in this day and age is great. They want great. They don't want okay or good or mediocre. They want great. And then there's Dan Nisker, our good buddy Dan Nisker. Dan Nisker was a trainer, bussing it all over town, making $2,000 a month, so less than $25,000 a year. And then all of a sudden, he starts focusing on people with missing limbs. He was inspired by David Vibora from the Starbucks Upstanders video. And his business takes off because he's focused on folks with missing limbs. He's a dealer in hope. That's a David Vibora phrase, by the way, a dealer in hope. That's a new book he's got coming out. So Dan has become a dealer in hope to people in Canada with missing limbs. And his business has gone from less than $2,000 a month. This fellow's probably going to make three quarters of a million to a million dollars this year just from this shift alone. Yeah, it's remarkable and it's very potent. And it, it, it's not like it happened overnight for Dan. Dan tried a whole bunch of different markets. He tried different angles and it took him a long time. He failed a lot, but then he found it. And when he found it, it stuck and it, and it delivers an incredible result for these people. And they pay him really well for the work that he does. And he delivers a great service. Well said, well said. And now let's go back to the rest of our interview with today's guest. So, Nancy, I'm developing an intellectual crush on your work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, me too. No, I'm just kidding. It's, <laughs> That's so it's, cute. Nobody's told me that before. Well, thank I think you. I'll tweet that. <laughs> Good. Please do. Uh, make sure you mention my name when you do it. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you, this is brilliant. So, um, I originally met Michael uh, in a volunteer men's organization that we, we've both been a part of. And one of the, uh, we help men be better men, you know, just. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's fantastic. So um, one of the most challenging parts about that organization is um, enrolling new men to come into it. Because it's not a thing that men do, join organizations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just not what they yeah. do. And I, I love to enroll. Michael loves to enroll. And we're both pretty good at it. But a lot of of the other people in the organization seem afraid of it. And I just got an aha moment from listening to you. When I've been giving my talks about helping people become better enrollers, I haven't been making them the hero of the story and I haven't been putting together the three act sequence. So I'm going to start talking about the world as it is right now. I'm going to start talking about the future as it could be. And I'm going to make these people the heroes of that story. And I, yeah. I think that's going to, explode our enrollment results. That's fantastic. Yeah. Storytelling is a lot about transformation. And you're asking, there's this thing that happens. There was a, a guy named Joseph Campbell who he Hero came up a thousand with faces. Uh, the hero's journey. Yeah. And, and what he says is um, the protagonist in a story, the stories always start out in the ordinary world, you know, Luke Skywalker started on a sandy planet, you know, yes. that was his ordinary world. And then an inciting incident happens that gets him to jump into this special world, you know, and, and so what you're trying to do is say, hey, guys, can you leave your ordinary world for a minute and jump into my special world? And that takes a commitment. It takes a leap of faith for them mm. to do that. So if you really understood the threshold and then when they and then your promise to your guys is and when you go back to your normal life, you're going to behave differently and be a better man. So it goes ordinary 
ordinary world, jump into my special world where my idea exists. And when you go back to your ordinary world, it's exactly the hero's journey. You will be a different person. So it, it, it's definitely all baked in story structure. You know, I have that book, uh, Hero of, of a Thousand Faces. A Thousand Faces, yeah. I bought it from my father years ago, and it's back in my possession. I haven't read it yet. I'm you know, there's a another one that's easier it. to consume that was done by a Disney analyst um, named Chris Vogler. And he took Joseph Campbell's 18 Steps, boiled it down to 12, because he was a Disney analyst. So he decided if mm. I apply Joseph Campbell's story structure and start analyzing the Disney stories to it, they could be stronger. And so his is called The Writer's Journey. And it is a beautiful piece of work. Anyone listening who's trying to build their thought leadership platform, this is, I, I buy 20 copies a year. I give it away all the time because he gets into the story principles and they're easier to apply than I think uh, Joseph Campbell's work when you're taking it in kind of raw. Um, it, it's a beautiful piece of work and and if you're constructing stories in your talks or as part of your thought leadership platform, I highly recommend that book. You know the what? Writer's we'll, Journey we'll, by Chris Vogler. We'll, we'll, we'll order it and uh, we'll order a bunch for our clients as well. Thank you for the recommendation. Uh-huh. Thank you for that because I was I had the uh, Joseph Campbell's book on audio and it's it's a mammoth. I mean, it, it was just um, I stopped listening to it because it just it's heady. I, it's pretty heady. Yeah. Um, you didn't have an intellectual crush on his work. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> well, I'm the one with the intellectual crush. But but anyways, it's uh, uh, I'm definitely going to get that book. I want to read that book because it's it, a good one, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, we definitely want to get your books as well and uh, and consume them. I mean, this material is powerful. It's fascinating. I'm Thank switched you. on. You know, you're. You, we've done several podcast interviews. Uh, it's well into the day for us, and normally this is a time where we got to really make sure our energy's up. My energy's up. I'm like. Turned on, switched on, ready to ready to have this conversation go on for hours and hours. But uh, one of the things you said early on in the episode was powerful for me. You said that at a time where the economy all around you was collapsing, you decided to niche, or as we mm-hmm. in Canada say, Con- it, niche. Yeah. Tra- contracted my services. You yeah, contracted your services and. That was risky. That was scary. And yet it resulted in far greater success. Talk mm-hmm. about the power of niching and why it's so important for the listener to this program to bring that into their business. Because many folks listening here are afraid to niche because they're thinking, you know what, if I tell them that I can't work with relationships or I can't work with business and I can only work with, I don't know, uh, mindset training, they think they're going to miss out on sales. Nothing could be further from the truth, correct? Right. And I think that, um, so you have to be different. You have to be better. You have to be different. And one of the ways to be different is to, you know, be the best or to stand out in a field. I read Jim Collins' Good to Great. And in that book, it's classic. He has uh, what's called the hedgehog concept. And the hedgehog concept has you ask yourself, if there is one thing, just one thing that you can be passionate about, be profitable be profitable at and um, be best in the world at do just that one thing. And when I looked at the market and I looked at where I was, I really felt like I was passionate about presenting. And and you have to realize this was t- 1999, 2000. Presentations were the ugliest, most hideous thing on the planet still. Yet I had this little niche firm in the Silicon Valley that was doing beautiful work, just beautiful work. All the other agencies were like, oh yeah, give the crappy stuff to Nancy. She'll take it. She'll take anything. <laughs> right? It wasn't this beautiful 
beautiful, desirable thing that it is now. But we changed all that. We took this very painful, very ugly and hideous medium and transported it into this very beautiful and desirable medium. I mean, you look at someone like Ted, you would not have thought like 10 years ago, if you think back, you, you guys are wee pups, so you might not remember back then, but you never would have thought that a company that distributes presentations would win a Peabody Award, like for, you know, media. For sure. It's just astounding um, how much people have recognized the power of the spoken word. And that's what we are. We're spoken word specialists. We'll write and produce your talk or teach you how to make a brilliant one yourself. So I really felt like it was super counterintuitive, but it only took me about eight years after making that decision to feel like, you know what, I think we are best in the world. And now I feel like I have the authority and the confidence and the single-mindedness to write a book about it. I don't, I don't think I would have if I'd stayed scattered or multidiscipline. You could say multidiscipline. I, I agree. And I, I, I love that story of you of buckling down into the one area. It was bold. It was risky, but it, it's a great story and demonstration of the power of, of that singular message and singular delivery. I'm really interested to hear your take on what's happening today. You've mentioned TED, but there's so many things uh, changing in the way we communicate with each other, with Facebook, mm-hmm. with Twitter, uh, other platforms seem to come up every other day, YouTube. Yeah. There's all these new uh, videos and followings of people living these lifestyle journeys and and telling stories of travel. You know, it used to be you dreamt of going and and traveling uh, to Europe and exploring and discovering yourself. Now you just watch a video of someone else doing it. What <laughs> what what is what's your take on all of this? And and how can how can our listener capitalize on this, but without maybe taking it too far? Yeah, it is interesting. You know, they say that the way small children are playing now, uh, there's a whole study that came out is that they don't just play. They play and pretend they're making a show. It's kind of interesting. So the ability to have a voyeurist being yourself most of the time, track everything you're doing um, is a fascinating take. I think that no matter what you do, no matter what you want to share, it needs to be based in empathy. You still have to understand that the viewers are the hero or you won't get a following. I mean, there's dynamic personality, there's got to be this niche thing, you know, and you got to have something useful. So in, in myths and movies, the mentor comes alongside the hero. And that's the role of the YouTube star or the thought leader. You're to play the role of a mentor. You're not the star yourself. So if you look at the shows that do really, really well, the, the, the host is what I would call a mentor and the viewers are the hero. Now, if you carry that metaphor farther, in myths and movies, the mentor does one of, uh, they do a few things. They come alongside the hero, they help them get unstuck, or they bring a magical tool. So this kind of magical tool help them get unstuck is the role the mentor does. So the hero's plotting along, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi comes along and teaches Luke the Force. Now, that was a magical gift that he needed so he could get unstuck. Well, that's the mindset we have to have if we're putting together a show or having followership. We should always, every presentation, every um, talk, the person who watched it should feel like, huh, I just got a magical tool. Oh, I just got unstuck. 
oh, I have this new way of doing things. Oh, I have a new way I believe. It's got to be something that comes into their life, penetrates the heart and makes them different, makes them better. Um, And I would say that's kind of the mindset you have to have or your show won't do as well. It just, you won't have useful things to give away from your own heart to theirs. Fascinating. Great. I forget what you called it, tool you just gave us. So it's, <laughs> it was a magical gift. You gave me this magical, <laughs> or both of us and our listener, magical gift, which I love the take, though, of, of you bringing it to the phenomenon of YouTube and what's happening and why some shows work, work and some, some don't. So I'm going to be looking for that and as well, looking to build that into what we do as well. Absolutely. Michael and I, prior to uh, interviewing you today, uh, we were reviewing... Um, a video presentation I created, and he ripped it apart. He tore into it, and uh, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there going, "Yeah, heck!" I was going to use another word, but I won't because it's a family-rated show. But uh, based on what I've heard on this podcast, I'm actually excited to completely redo that thing uh, and oh, make cool. our listener the hero of that presentation. I think it's going to rock. I bet it will. Yeah, thank you. So Nancy, we like to end every show by asking our expert guest for your top three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on in their business and in their life to take themselves to the next level. I would say my body of work, a lot of it is based in empathy. So I would say definitely do what I've been saying is switch your mindset. Don't make yourself a central figure. Really, uh, like think about Avatar, right? The the Navi were the enemy until he just jumped in, became one. And then he realized, wait, these are really good people. You know, you, you have to jump in and, and clothe yourself in the audience and what they what they believe and think so that you can communicate more clearly. So I would say number one is empathy. Number two is clarity. I would say you need to simplify and hone and make sure your message has one big idea. People can't process too many big ideas. And then you you use contrast to make that big idea stand out and be amazing. And I think my third piece of advice would be around the slides themselves. I think that we need to... Um, not be cliche. Like there's a way to come up with concepts that are so sticky and so memorable that people will be talking about your talk at the water cooler because it just rocks them. Those would be my uh, three tips for you guys. Those are fantastic tips. So Nancy, how do people consume your work? How do they get to buy your books? Uh, And do you have programs for Mm -hmm. uh, smaller businesses that are available? Tell us about that and we'll put them in the show notes as well. Yeah, thank you. So um, there's a lot of information at duarte.com. We can um, help build your next talk or teach you how to rock your next talk using all the principles I shared today. They're the ones we've used at our shop for 30 years. So they're tried and true. Um, My Twitter handle is at Nancy Duarte and I do connect to anyone who can next to me on LinkedIn. Um, And that's probably the best way to get a hold. Okay, fantastic. Well, we'll definitely jump in and buy your books. Uh, Thank you. I'm actually pretty interested uh, in maybe having an offline conversation with you about some of the uh, talks that we're developing. Perhaps you can help us out with those as well. And I'm looking forward to connecting with you uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And I'm looking forward to seeing that tweet about the intellectual crush. (laughs) (laughs) Nancy, it's been a real yeah, honor having you. send me your Twitter you. handle and I'll you put bet. it up there. <laughs> you bet. I'll find you on Twitter right away. Okay. You take Thank care, you guys. Nancy. Thanks for being on the show. Thank okay. you. Michael Nancy Duarte, 
is one of the most powerful, inspiring, high-energy people that I've ever met in my life. And I'm blown away by how much gold she gave us on this podcast episode. Absolutely. You know, we're big fans of Donald Miller and his podcast, and we've learned so much from him. And he's the, and she is the source of the work that he's been doing. I absolutely love when we get to talk to people that are the source of something great that that is so powerful. And her message is extremely powerful, and she's got a whole bunch of new angles uh, on it that I think are going to be valuable to our listener, and they're going to be valuable to you and I. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to uh, getting her books. I'll order those today. And I'm also looking forward to uh, checking out what she has to offer to folks like us. I think it's uh, very powerful stuff. That wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast. To learn more about today's exciting and awesome guest, you can go to thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to the Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.